Samuel chapter 1. Today, in our, as we consider our series looking at people in the Word of God who uh, loved the Lord, served Him, dedicated their lives to, to the Lord, um, were greatly used of the Lord. Everyone that we're looking at, we're looking at under the age of 35. Now, maybe they lived to be 110, uh, but the age of their life, uh, the, in fact, uh, Samuel is one of those individuals that lived uh, a long life. And yet, we're just going to be looking at the beginning of his life. It's important for young people to realize that you don't have to... um, Being a mature Christian is not synonymous with being a mature adult as far as uh, living many years as a human being. You can be a mature Christian at the age of 20, 25. You can do great things... In fact, you can do great things for God without even being a mature Christian. Um, you just need to uh, love the Lord, be born again, have a desire to serve Him, and then He will use you. And what's, what's amazing is seeing, as we've been looking at uh, these different individuals, is seeing how God uses so many different people from so many different situations. Yeah. Um, in our series, we've already seen, like with Joshua or uh, Joseph, that um, God used someone who came from a broken family. He had a messed up family. Um, Some people uh, came from a good family. Uh, One mom, one dad, godly parents. And then some of these individuals that we're looking at came, they didn't have parents at all. Their parents were killed in battle. Uh, We're going to be looking at Esther. Her parents uh, probably didn't make it out of the captivity uh, or when they were carried away captive. Uh, She was 15 years old being raised by her uncle. We're going to look at Josiah. He uh, had a horrible, wicked, wicked, the most wicked king in all of Israel's history was his granddad, and his, and his father died at a very young age. And so it's important to keep in mind that the circumstances that you come from have no bearing whatsoever on what God can do uh, with you in your life. In fact, in fact God has a, a special place in his heart for uh, the fatherless. Um, in fact, there's great condemnation for those who, uh, um, oh, what's the what's the word word for it that uh, um, cause oh, what's the word of uh, they cause difficulty or like Jesus said it is it is great it it is better that a man have a millstone hung around his neck and cast into the sea than than that he should offend one of these little ones. He said that Jesus said that in the Word of God and and. Uh, um, so this morning we're looking at Samuel though. Samuel came from a unique, very unique situation. If you know anything about Samuel at all, and for the sake of time, um, I'm not going to read these few uh, verses that give us a background. I'll just kind of do an overview on it. Um, Samuel was born into a family. There was, there was two moms. One of the mothers, his mother, uh, Hannah, was not able to have children. And she prayed to the Lord. She was very burdened and bothered by the fact she could have no children. The other woman in the, in the marriage, she, uh, um, she afflicted and ridiculed uh, Hannah because she couldn't have children. And uh, um, she went to, when they went to offer yearly sacrifice, uh, her and her husband, she prayed to the Lord and she told the Lord. Uh, we will look at a few of these verses here. Um, in chapter 1, just look at verse 11. 
as she's praying to God, desiring a child, it says in verse 11 of chapter 1, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And then in verse 17, the priest who had seen her praying, she was moving her lips as she prayed, but she was praying silently, and he thought she was drunk. And uh, um, he, he confronted her, but once she tells him what it is that she's in desire of, the priest says in verse 17, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And then go down to verse 20. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And go down to verse 24. And when she had weaned him, this is when back then things were a little bit different. He would have been around four or five. Um, he wasn't like one year old. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. This is where she had been praying when she asked the Lord of a child. And it says, And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am, a, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. And so we see that Samuel is, uh, um, is thrust into a very abnormal situation. Even if he would have stayed at home, it wouldn't have been the most ideal of situations, having two moms, a bunch of half-brothers, half-sisters. I mean, our society, in our society, we, we get that. We, you know, that's, that's very common. But um, his situation wasn't like other children because at the age of four or five, he's dropped off at the, with, with the priest in Shiloh. And the priest, I'm sure, was like, oh, well, thank you. I, at the age of 80, I've always wanted another child to raise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he was just, yes, all right, this is what I've been wanting. Um, but um, what's, what's interesting about this also is that, remember uh, Samson's mom and dad? She couldn't have a child. But God had told her, you're going to have a child, but this is what's going to happen. You need to raise him this way. There were certain guidelines. And, and so they obeyed the Lord in raising their child the way they did. With Hannah, she had dedicated him to the Lord. All of this was proactive on her part. God didn't tell her, and when he is weaned, he needs to go be dedicated to the Lord. This was her, and, uh, oh, uh, her sacrifice and her commitment to the Lord, and the Lord blessed her greatly. She ended up having um, more children, they, the family would come and see him every year. She would bring him new clothes and so forth. Well, let's go down to uh, chapter 2 and verse 11. We have a lot that I want to get through uh, this morning. First uh, Samuel chapter 2 and verse 11, and it says, And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child, this is Samuel, the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, 
they were wicked. They knew not the Lord. Um, in fact, they were wicked, uh, abusing the sacrifices for personal gain. Later in the chapter, we, we would read that they were openly immoral, even though they were married. And you can go through and look at some of this uh, later if you like. But I want us to notice here, it says, there's this specific phrase, they knew not the Lord. So here they are, they're priests, but they knew not the Lord. And then go down to verse 17 of chapter 2. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. And then down to verse 26. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. And then go over to chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, And the child ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days, and there was no open vision. Oh, we don't have time to read all of this, but I want to point out that every time Samuel is mentioned as ministering to the Lord, it is preceded by a statement or a phrase concerning the wickedness within the leadership of Israel. It would talk about the failures of Eli uh, in governing his sons. It would talk about how wicked the priests were um, and what they were doing. And every time it would make a statement about how bad things were spiritually in Israel, in the leadership, it would say, but the child ministered unto the Lord, and so forth. And so it's like this contrast. Um, and uh, it is among this same wicked leadership that Samuel's being raised. So it's not like Samuel had these great role models to look up to as, as priests, the sons of Eli. He, he ministered to Eli, and Eli was a godly man. He just um, didn't uh, enforce or make sure that his sons were doing things properly. He didn't sanction them. He didn't remove them from office. He, they just kind of ran roughshod over him. Um, so it's not like Eli didn't care about what was right. He just didn't do anything about it when he saw things were wrong. And that in itself is not a good role model for Samuel. So let's go ahead and read chapter 3, uh, 3 beginning in verse 1 once again. It says, And the, Sam, the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, now by this time, Samuel's probably going to be 10 to 15. He's not, some time has gone by. It's not like he's still, you know, four and five years old. Um, and it says <clears throat> um, that the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down again. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son, lie down again. And then notice this verse. We're going to be looking at this later. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. 
And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all the things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sins made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrificing nor offering forever. And Samuel lay until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord has said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said to thee. And Samuel told him every wit, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth good. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And so, I want to go through some things, um, uh, have quite a bit to, to point out here in this chapter. Um, one of the first things I want to point out from this passage is that it says in verse 1, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And then notice this is a separate sentence. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Uh, there was no open vision. Israel at this time was a theocracy. God was to direct the nation. Uh, not with the traditional governments of men. There were various different kinds of governments. But the nation of Israel was to be directed as God led and spoke through prophets and judges. Oh, when it says here the word of God was precious, it's not that the people greatly valued the word of God and held it in high esteem. It's that it was so rare. It, it, was, oh, it had been in the past that God would speak to the nation, and now he's not speaking to the nation. There's no prophet going and telling people and directing people, um, thus saith the Lord. And so it was rare if found at all. And what we see then is that Israel had no direction. They had no spiritual leadership. Nobody to instruct or guide them concerning even defending themselves uh, from, their, from their natural enemies. The priests in Shiloh were corrupt, immoral, and ungodly, abusing their position. The people were bitter towards them and resented even coming to offer sacrifice anymore because the abuses were so great. And so um, this, is the, this is the culture, this is the environment that Samuel is growing up in. I want to consider Samuel's relationship with God. Note that Samuel served God before he knew God. It says repeatedly... And the Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Yeah. And he did this in light of all this wickedness um, year after year. 
he's serving the Lord. But then it, it says very clearly, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the Lord had not yet spoken unto him, and yet he was serving the Lord. Oh, it says in one of the one of the verse, the first verse, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Next verse says, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. And the child grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. And then the final verse said, and the child ministered unto the Lord before Eli. It reminds me of a phrase that um, is in the the book of Acts. Remember when uh, Paul and Silas, we're pretty familiar with the passage where Paul and Silas uh, or Paul and Barnabas are sent out the first time as missionaries. And in in, in Acts chapter 13, it says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And notice this phrase. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. They were ministering to the Lord in the work that they were doing in the church. In teaching one another, in helping one another, in praying for one another, in doing the work of the Lord, they might have thought of it at times that they were ministering to the needs of the people. But in doing so, they're actually ministering unto the Lord. A lot of times people want to know, what can I do for the Lord? How can I serve the Lord? I've never even met the Lord. (laughs) Oh, well, this is, do you notice in this, in this passage, in a church context, it says they ministered to the Lord in praying for the needs of others and praying for what they should do concerning reaching lost souls and so forth. Well, in our passage, um, in Samuel, um, it says the child did minister unto the Lord. How did the child minister unto the Lord? Well, he ministered unto the Lord before Eli the priest. By helping Eli, the priest, perform his duties, whether Samuel was taking out the trash, sweeping the floor, helping him with the duties of sacrifice. In in our passage, we see that after Samuel receives the vision, his job as a teenager was to go out, and his job was to open the gates. After he received the vision, he went out and and he opened up the gates. He would open the doors every morning. This is how he was ministering unto the Lord, was by doing all of these tasks he's serving the man of God he's ministering unto the Lord and so Samuel's ministry to the Lord did not mean that he was yet a child of God or in a relationship with God and and it's the same today just because people do religious things just because a person helps with things in the church does not mean that they yet know the Lord or that they are yet saved and uh, oh It says here now, Samuel, so he's been ministering unto the Lord for years. But it says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. I already mentioned this, but there's a great difference between performing duties for God and knowing God. There is also a great difference between knowing about God and knowing God in a personal way. Remember Jacob, the vision he had from God? 
And he knew all about the God of Abraham. He knew all about the God of Isaac. But it's very clear from the word of God by his own confession that God was not his God until later in life. Um, In fact, when he prayed and he made a commitment to God after he saw a vision from God, he said, God, if you do this and this and this, then will you be my God? So just because he knew about God, in fact, just because he had had an experience, didn't mean he knew God and that God was his God. Oh, there will be a great many people in hell who can debate doctrines, write systematic theology books, they can preach, sing wonderfully in the choir, and give to the poor and needy. But their biggest problem is that they never knew God. Yeah. And that God never knew them. Mm. And like, well, how can God? God knows everything. How can God not know these people? Well, in Jesus' own words, he says this in Matthew chapter 7. See, these people, they know that serve God. Like uh, Darren was talking about, in in a lot of so-called Christianity, there are people who are serving God and worshiping God and doing all these things for God, but they don't know God. Oh, it's just a head knowledge. And so the key is that we need to know God in a personal way. We need to have a relationship with God. It is possible to have a personal relationship with God. In fact, that's one of the things that convinced me, having grown up in a Baptist family and having made a profession when I was 15, but I wasn't really saved. And, um, uh, you know, struggling with whether or not I was really saved or not. One of the things I had to come to terms with and recognize is that I don't have a, I don't have a relationship with God. Praying was like praying to the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no victory over sin. What God wanted out of my life, it's it really didn't have that much of a bearing. Um, did I have a guilty conscience about doing things that were wrong? Yeah, I felt bad about doing wrong, and I knew that it was wrong, but um, I didn't have a heart for serving God. and I didn't have a relationship with God. Um, and, uh, well, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess. So this is Jesus Christ himself saying, Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. That's a key statement. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This knowing God and God knowing us is a two-way street. That's what a relationship is. And what a wonderful thing it is for us who have been saved, that it's awesome and it's comforting to know that God knows me and God cares about me and God loves me and I know that he died for me and he died for my sins. And that's a, that's a lot different than just having some abstract idea of God. And you really begin to have more love for God when you realize just exactly how much it is that he's forgiven you for right? He, for all of, your, all of your sins. And then as you grow as a Christian, you begin to realize so many things that he's doing and has done for you. And, and uh, it's a relationship and the love is supposed to grow with the Lord as we go over time. And so we see in this passage that 
Samuel is performing religious duties, and he's serving the Lord, and he's obedient, but he didn't yet know God. And I think that there's something there. There's a picture there. Note that the wicked sons of Eli, with their titles of the priests of God of Israel, they did not know God. It says, as I read earlier when I pointed it out, now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. They were wicked. And it says this, and they knew not the Lord. They had the office and they had the title, but they knew not the Lord. And unfortunately, that's how so many religious leaders in so-called Christianity today are. They know not the Lord. And it's evidenced by the, the garbage that they speak, the horrible example that they live, um, the carnality um, that they promote, and uh, their ministries are just all about tickling people's ears and telling them what they want to hear, and they don't preach the Word of God. Um, sons of Belial, really. And so, fortunately for Samuel, not knowing the Lord was temporary. It says in our passage, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. For every person who is ever saved, I've preached, you know how I feel about these things. It is very important for a person. In order to be saved, you have to realize at some point that you are lost. That's right. Right? Every single person born into this world is a sinner, lost, condemned, separated from God. At some point during your life, just because you're lost today doesn't mean you have to be lost tomorrow or tonight. And in this passage, what it says is, Samuel did not, we're looking at this from a history standpoint, but Samuel's living through it in real time, right? And, and that's how it is for us. And um, we just live through it in real time. I didn't know when I was 20 that I just, my problem was that I just did not yet know the Lord. But fortunately, there was, it was just temporary. And uh, oh, how is it for you? Is it a matter of, yeah, you really don't know the Lord, but it's just, you don't yet know the Lord. I hope that that's what the situation, situation is, and that's how it was uh, for him. Um, <clears throat> how did he come to know God? In our passage, how did he come to know God? God came to him, right? It says, and the Lord stood, and the Lord spake. God came to him. God confronted him. That's the way it always is. Man left on his own is just going this way. And it requires God getting in front of you, getting your attention, and speaking to you. God spoke to him. How does anyone come to know God today? When God speaks to him. How does God speak to people today? Is it in an audible voice? You ever wonder how... God spoke to people in the Old Testament. It says all the time. Last week or two weeks ago, we were looking at Gideon. With Gideon, remember first, there was a man standing there before Gideon. And he was talking to him and telling him what great things he was going to do for God and who he was in God and and how God has chosen him and all this. And, And then a miracle was performed and that man disappeared out of his sight. And Gideon was fearful and he's, said, you know, it's an angel of God. Well, it actually had been the Lord appearing to him in the form of a man. Oh, but in that passage, didn't we see, I kind of emphasized that God continued to speak to him. In the same same time frame, not a week later, 
At the same time, God continued to speak to him as he had been speaking before. It's like, was that an inside voice? Was that, you know, was he hearing voices? How did God speak to people in the Old Testament? It says, and the Lord spake unto him and said. Well, in our passage here, it's very clear how Samuel heard God. He heard a voice that he's sleeping, and he hears Samuel. And he runs in. He heard a man's voice. It wasn't an inside voice. It wasn't a vision. He heard Samuel. So he gets up, and it was the voice of a man. Evidently sounded kind of like Eli. So he runs into Eli. What do you want? Here I am. I'm not talking to you. He does it again and again. And finally, you know, Eli convinces him, you're not hearing things. You're hearing things, but it's not me. And it's, it was a real voice, though, is my point. And then as when he reve- God reveals to Samuel what it is that he's going to do, he's talking to him. He's hearing a voice. It's a real voice. Well, how does it happen today? God speaks to us today from the Word of God. And when a man who does not yet know God hears the gospel preached, the Holy Spirit quickens that soul, and for the first time in their life, it's no longer religious activity, it's no longer just a head knowledge about God, but God is real. God makes himself real to the lost person. Yes, yes. Turn to Romans chapter 10. This isn't my opinion. God saves people one way. And it's through the preaching of the word of God. It's through the preaching of the gospel. God has chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's what the Bible says. And here's another passage. It says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. I'll give you just a second to get there. This is how a person can come to know God. Be saved, be born again, however you want to want to call it Romans 10 13 for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved but here's a dilemma here's a question how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard See, if you've never heard the gospel and you've never heard of Jesus Christ then how are you going to call on him if you don't know of your need then why would you call on him? You have to hear about your need. You have to hear about the Savior. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? See, God is behind all of this. God is the causer in all of this. God sends the preacher. God calls and he sends the preacher to specific people. Um, It's not by accident. Even those who reject the gospel message, it is not an accident that God sent a preacher to you. And so, how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not obeyed the gospel. See, not everybody who hears, in fact, most people who hear the gospel reject it. For Isaiah said, as Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? And then notice this. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have to hear the word of God. God, well, what's the word of God? It's God's revelation to us about himself. That God speaks to us through his word. And so the word of God is alive. 
it's sharp and uh, powerful and quick, sharper than any two-edged sword. And uh, so God knows what he's doing in speaking to people and getting people's attention. And he has a means as to how it is that he is going to speak to people. And so um, I want us to notice here as we wrap this up that Samuel was obedient to Eli who told him how to respond to God. You notice that? Eli said, I think you're hearing God's voice. Next time God speaks to you, this is what you need to do. And that's what Samuel did. Samuel did word for word what Eli told him to do. Eli said, next time God speaks to you, say, speak for thy servant heareth. Samuel didn't know how to respond to God. He had to be told how to respond to God by a person who knew God, Eli. And so Samuel was obedient to the words of the preacher. Next time God speaks to you, listen and obey and do this. What did Samuel do? In simple childlike faith, he heard a voice again. And he believed that it was God. Eli had said it was God. He believed that it was God. And so he obeyed what the man of God said. That takes a little bit of faith. And uh, a little bit. Um, and so oh, my take on this is, oh, that lost men would properly respond to the man of God who preaches the gospel. Men hear words and don't know it's a message from God, but think it's a message from another man too many times. And when that man says... Repent. Well, how, how do I know it's God? How do I know how to be saved? Well, well, this is what you need to do the next time that you're under conviction. The next time you hear from God. Turn to Him. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. All these different things that might be said. Well, do it. And so, oh, when the jailer came and, and said to Paul and Silas, he said he, wanted to, he was ready to kill himself. <laughs> and... Paul, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And uh, um, Paul said, it's real simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, thou and all thy house. What did he do? He believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved, him and all his house. It's really important that people obey. See, the problem with lost people is they still want to do what they want to do. It's an obedience issue. It's a rebellion issue. But when God is speaking to you, it's not a small thing. It wasn't a small thing that God came to this teenager and spoke to him. God actually had big plans for him. And this was the first way of him revealing himself to to, uh, Samuel. But you have to listen to God. Humble yourself. Recognize him as Lord. I recall the words of Saul who when Jesus spoke to him, Saul replied, Lord, what would you have me to do? Right? That was his response. So evidence that Samuel believed God, knew God, was that he obeyed the commandment of God, even though he was afraid. Notice, did you notice how fearful he was? In verse 15, it says, he couldn't go to sleep. God spoke to him, and he's like, he couldn't go to sleep. He's already been woke up three times, four times. Well, I don't think he fell asleep after the third time he went back to Samuel. He probably just laid there waiting. (laughs) 
And can you imagine you're 15 years old and you're laying there waiting? And then all of a sudden you hear, Samuel, Samuel. Talk about the hair on the back of your neck standing up. I mean, it was actually four. He went to Eli three times, and it's the fourth time God spoke to him. So he wasn't getting that good of sleep anyway. And then he didn't even bother going back to sleep. It says he stayed awake all night. It says, and Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel, why couldn't he go back to sleep? Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. This is the priest. This is Eli. There could, he didn't want to tell. He cared about Eli. He didn't want to tell him. God had bad news for Eli. But he, but, oh, it says, he feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here am I. And he said, what is the thing that the Lord has said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every wit and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord, let him do what seemeth good. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. From this point on in Samuel's life, we see that he had a very close relationship with God. His life mattered, he had purpose, he knew the God of heaven. Just real quick, I don't even know if we have donuts downstairs, so it probably doesn't matter. So just, just, bear, just bear with me. There might be a cup of coffee or something for you. but Okay, hold on. Put some ice in it so you can drink it fast. Listen. He, I, think, I just think that this is important. Samuel told Eli what he had already been told by another prophet of God. Right? It says in our passage that he t- when God was going down, it says in verse 12, in that God is speaking, in that day will I perform against Eli all the things which I have spoken concerning his house. If you read in an earlier chapter, it shows how a prophet came and told Eli this is what's going to happen. Samuel didn't tell him anything he hadn't already heard. What Samuel told Eli and what God told Eli, it was to be a confirmation to Eli. He didn't hear the... Um, It's the first time Samuel is hearing of this, but it's not a new message. The message from God to Samuel was a confirmation to Eli, a double testimony. And the message that we speak to the lost may be a confirmation of what they have already heard. Just like I said, this is the first time Samuel's hearing of this, and now he has a message that he needs to relay. How many times does an evangelist go to a place, or a preacher go and preach in another pulpit, and he has no idea what those people need to hear? And God reveals a special message from his word that he's never really seen that before, and God speaks to him. So to him, it's new. And he gets up and preaches, and someone sitting in the pew is like, He's reading my mail. He knows all about me. Someone must have told him all about me. And it's the reality is, is no. And he's hearing something that he's heard before and it's always convicted him and he's been fighting it. And here comes a stranger and just tells him exactly what God wanted him to hear. It's just a double confirmation. When it's a double confirmation, you better pay attention. Yes. Yes. And so um, the message that we speak to the lost may be a confirmation of what they've already heard. And the same goes for saved people. God gives the same message to various preachers a lot of times for saved people. And saved people then should maybe pay. You should listen to the word of God when it's preached the first time. But when you hear it the second, third, fourth, tenth, fifteenth time, 
you should start paying attention. Amen. It's not happening for an accident. And so, servant of God, just because you are afraid and intimidated does not mean you should quit on God or disobey Him. It's our responsibility as Christians and as teachers and preachers to tell the world what God has told us to tell. And notice in our passage, and it says, um, Eli tells him, and hold nothing back. Tell me what God told you and hold nothing back. And that's how we're to do it. We're to hold nothing back. We cannot tell lost people of a heaven, but no hell. Right? There's a lot of people do that. Oh, there's denominations that they talk all about heaven, but there's no hell. Oh, we cannot tell them that as long as they ask Jesus into their heart, they can keep going. They can go to heaven, but just keep living the way they've always lived. We cannot take message, repentance out of the message of salvation. I could go on and on. We have to hold nothing back. This is a blessing for me. I hope it was for you as well.